What's up, everybody, and welcome to Decision Time. I'm Misha, and I speak with product and business leaders about their unique approach to decision-making. Each episode features a new leader where we discuss a recent product launch, we'll learn about their business, the unknowns leading up to the launch, and how they manage their time to ensure success. Let's go. Hey, everyone. Very excited to have today's guest on, on the pod. Justin Anovic, Chief Product Officer for Syndigo. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us about decisions and time management. Why don't we just kick it off with you doing a bit of an introduction. I'd love to learn a little bit more about where you are today and what the company does, just so the audience has an overview. Yeah, sure. Syndigo, we uh, provide uh, data uh, oriented around product. Uh, so if you, let's say, are a brand and want to sell on Lowe's, uh, those brands use our products to publish to Lowe's and it's complicated, right? Like there's a, a data quality, a data requirement issue in order to publish that. You can just publish whatever you want. Uh, and then uh, organizations use us to make sure that they have uh, their master product data, master data uh, uh, in, a, in a consistent way. So uh, we have over 12,000 customers around the globe uh, and you know we're about 1,300 people uh, at Syndigo. So not only are you in charge of making big decisions, but the decisions that you make lead to some very big decisions that your customers make is one way of thinking about it. So I think this is a, a nice bridge then to the next question. Let's pick a feature that either you're currently working on or have previously launched and talk to us about what led to your decision to build it. I'm sure you have a long queue of things you can work on. What does your system for decision-making look like? Yeah, so one of the... Uh... The, the features or results of acquisition that I think is, is relevant to talk about. So it was a part of an acquisitive company, uh, Episerver. Uh, we acquired a, a few different businesses, uh, acquired a company called Optimizely, changed our name. And through that, one of the important decisions is, and, and part of the hypotheses of the acquisitions is, do you bring the products together? Uh, how do you integrate them? It's not just from a UX perspective, but from a data layer perspective. And it becomes a little bit complicated because at a certain point, customers may not be asking for it, uh, but you know that it's an important thing. So we sat down and said, we want a single pane of glass. We want a consistent data layer across these different applications. Uh, and we want to focus on specific outcomes where that data could be used to help action either experiments or what's seen on the website uh, or content or whatever. And so we went through a pretty rigorous process to say, to, to focus on the business side of it, the outcomes, the, uh, the, the, the value, uh, and said, you know, this is what we're trying to achieve and then work very closely with the architecture team to uh, create it. And it's actually just getting launched uh, now or, it's, you know, uh, uh, in the last few months um, since I left Optimizely, but it was a uh, it, it was a long conversation, lots of slides, lots of data, uh, lots of anecdotes uh, to to help to deliver that. And we knew that not only from a valuation perspective and importance of the company, but really for what we wanted to help our customers achieve. Now, if I were to take that, and we can certainly delve into some of those specifics, if I was to take that experience from two years ago and go through it again today, I would be doing things different because. Certainly, as I mentioned, you know, one of the things that, that becomes very apparent is uh, anecdotes drive too many decisions. 
especially when they come from leadership, right? I know we were just talking about some of those things. And so how do you use data, even if customers aren't necessarily asking it, how do you use data to help drive the decision, but also the consensus around that decision? And, you know, that has been an important part of, uh, of the learning process for myself over the past, you know, 18, 24 months. That's really interesting, especially because so many companies often use customer feedback as the focal point for how they reach decisions. And here you are talking about building a business case around something that customers don't explicitly ask for. So can you talk to us a little bit more about how you did that? What are the type of things you looked at? What type of questions did you ask yourself to sort of reach the conclusion that there is value here and how do you quantify that? Yeah. And, you know, when I came over to Syndigo, I realized some of the mistakes that I made when I was, you know, leading a product team at Optimizely and was able to, you know, take a little bit of a step back and say, okay, what are the things that we need to do in order to make decisions better so that we don't change our mind as a leadership team every six days? And so built a business case value framework that includes OKRs. Right. So are we uh, looking for retention, growth? Are we looking for margin? Um, and then weighting those in conjunction with the ELT. We then use uh, existing revenue. Right. So is there revenue that could potentially be at, uh, Im impacted uh, because a customer could leave because we don't have this, for instance, data layer or other decision? Also using potential uh, pipeline that exists today because customers might be asking for it in a different way. And there's a litany of other data points and basically crafted a way to create a score, a business score, and then a, uh, a, an impacted score based off of engineering input, right? So the, the, the business score could be 500, whatever the number, random number is, because, hey, this is an unbelievably valuable thing for business to create, uh, for, the, uh, for us to create but it's going to take 17 years. And so it gets a score of 12, right? And so how do like, so my view was, how do I get to a point where there's relative indisputable evidence and data that shows what we need to build? And how do you compare things that are everything from re-architecting an application uh, to get to the you know latest tech to a new, new feature? And how do you, how do, how do you make that uh, consistent across all those different pieces. And this approach, when done with the ELT, agreeing on the, um, on the levers and the weightings, it becomes a easier point of discussion so that we don't change our mind. We could change our mind every six weeks, every six days, but it should be based off of this data and know that if we change our mind every six days, there's no way we're going to ever make any progress. But like, how do you use data? And so this way, it's not a foolproof way, but it's a good starting point for the conversation where everybody's on the same page because they had input into the model. And that to me is how we're using data. And then there's obviously elements of like what customers uh, input, there's, uh, you know, other data from win loss and, you know, other things that are part of this that help influence it, but it shouldn't be based off of the last four QBRs that we sat through and heard. Uh, it needs to be a lot uh, broader and more data-driven than that. And so this model, can you talk a little bit about how did you build it and how did you maintain it? Is this something that you codified in a digital way? Was this an Excel model? 
Yeah, not uh, that uh, anybody can see, but it's a tattoo on my arm that's like an abacus. Uh, that uh, no, so it was. It started with the product leaders and myself to say, let's let's list all the key pieces. Let's take them out of Jira. Let's list it in a in a, in a spreadsheet so that we can you know uh, manipulate and modify the the, the data points and the uh, and, and the summaries. And then uh, you know it it went through probably fifteen variations until we landed on something that said you can't game the system in order to you know influence it. It should be based off of what we have in Salesforce from a data perspective. It should be based off of retention data. It should be based off our ICP, all of that stuff. So you can't game it. Uh, and it, it it's it currently exists in Smartsheet uh, or Excel, uh, and uh, and it's meant to be reviewed. You know, every quarter. I think that the struggle that we have now is uh, is bringing it back up on a regular basis. Uh, you know, every quarter to say, hey, this is where we're at. This is where we're building. This is what we're you know getting close to delivering and all that. So. It, it, it was good from an initial point of view, from a starting point. It's good to revisit when we're needing to make really big decisions and maybe change direction a little bit. But, you know, the continued learning is to, in any conversation, to bring it up uh, in a, you know, monthly ELT meeting to say, this is, this is where we're at, not much has changed, or this is what we're delivering against. Uh, and so the constant communication uh, is, you know, something that, uh, you know, I'm working on now, so. It sounds like part of what made this exercise powerful was the social aspect. Everybody weighed in, including the ELT and partner functions. It wasn't just you building a model and saying, this is the way. Everybody had an opportunity to provide input. And by doing so, you implicitly facilitated alignment within the whole organization. That's the, I mean, that's the intent. That's how it's been working. There's, you know, it's rough around the edges, but it's the best data-oriented view that I've had in my career that allows us to separate emotions from reality. And, you know, that to me is the important thing because, um, and no uh, malintent by any ELT member, but it's easy to agree in the moment when everybody else is agreeing, it's much harder to then go live that over the next subsequent weeks. And if there's something that they can legitimately call upon or call up, when they're having their own team meetings to say, this is why we're doing these things. Um, that makes it that much easier to continue to live on with the decision as opposed to being a quiet or unknown saboteur of the decision. So I, I'm a big fan of play bigger, uh, the, the Zetters. And, you know, not everybody knows that it, they're even being a Zetter. They don't even do it explicitly. Uh, it's an implicit thing. But if you're not continuing to hold the torch, and have that you know continue with the consensus. Uh, it makes it very difficult. And I feel like as a CTO, my job is communication and consensus building. Like I've, that's what I've realized. And you know, certainly defining the strategy, having the vision, all of those like fun things. But it really is about like I hate to use the word politicking, but it's it's consensus building across you know various groups and communicating regularly about the same thing over and over again. <laughs> so a great bridge to my next question, which is if you had to sort of parse out your average week, what does that look like between doing uh, the work with leadership, spending time with other functions, maybe spending time with your own team? And, you know, hopefully there's room in there for just ruminating. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I would say, you know, 25% of the time external. So customers, analysts, external input, um, not just for input sake, but, you know, for escalations and, you know, uh, you know, briefings to analysts, all that stuff. Right. But like also simultaneously using that to collect what's happening in the market. Right. And understanding that um, and, you know, figuring out where it's going because, you know, we need to stay up to date. I would say 30% or slightly more with leadership team to make sure alignment, you know, when, especially when there's big things going on, which there always seems like there are, like there needs to be, you know, constant alignment. And that's either as a group or, or individually. Uh, and then the rest really with, um, uh, you know, various teams, whether it's my team or others, I'm a very people first person where I firmly believe that, you know, getting the most out of the individual, helping them career-wise at the company, where they're going, all that stuff in general. Um, I, I'm a very people first, I would say company second, because the company can't succeed without the people, in my opinion. Um, and it sounds obvious, but I've been in many arguments with other leaders that it's the opposite way. And I don't believe that. But anyhow, um, and so spending a lot of time, I mean, and, and it varies, right? It's, it's encouraging. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's putting your foot down to say, let's do this. It's, it's communicating, uh, what's going on because nobody ever believes that they have all the information and it's important to communicate that I'm a big, a huge believer in strength finders. And so, you, you know, for my own leadership team, you know, we, we talk about it, we do it. We understand it, understand where the gaps are. When there's conflict, I bring up the strength finders and be like, oh, you guys are at opposite ends. This is why there's conflict. You know, you're a doer, you're a thinker, like there's value in bringing this together. And so it's trying to figure out how to, you know, uh, get across every barrier that occurs every day. But yeah, I would say it's, it's you know, probably 40% with the team or the extended team, not just my leadership team and not just product teams. So so to bridge the two conversations together, we, we started with you describing putting a model into place that brings everyone together. Now we're talking about how you spend your time and how important it is to make sure that you, know, you find strengths and you upskill people. Going back to that model, you talked about it as something that you know, really helped to bring the leadership and cross-functional teams together. But did it also help to upskill the talent on your team because it gave them now a standard that they could look at and say, okay, we have this model, not only the leadership agreed to it, but when we have an idea for a new feature, uh, you know, a bug or a big strategic choice, this is the thing that we're going to pass it through. And so it kind of creates an even playing field for everyone, which is interesting, I think, in product management because people come from such a variety of backgrounds into this profession. Yeah, and that is the intent. I mean, it doesn't work in a straight line like that, for sure. I would say, you know, the the obstacles that we face with that data-driven or the business value business case value framework is uh, the individual PMs a little further down the organization. They're not necessarily thinking in that same way because they might not have access to the same data. They might, you know, uh, have something new that they're thinking. And so it's how do we make sure that it permeates the entire organization? I would say. You know, as a baseball fan, I use, uh, you know, what inning we're in, we're probably like bottom of the third, top of the fourth when it comes to that and getting it fully adopted. But it's a, you know, it's, a, it, it's it, everybody agrees to it, but how do you operate with it on a daily basis to make sure that, yeah, if you're supporting this product that generates $9 million in revenue, and then there's another product that generates $50 million in revenue, you're inherently thinking like, I'm only going to get 20% of the resources that this other person does, but that's not necessarily the case because, there could be value uh, 
in you know in in what we're doing for the for, for other purposes, right? And so it's the intent is to encourage them, upskill them, uh, you know, feel like that they have a voice in this whole view. My view and what I always encourage the team. I just told them today, I was like, you know, it's up to you to give your opinion. It's up to me to care or it's up to me to give my opinion. It's up for you to care. Like without that opinion and direction and voice, like, you know, you don't know what's going on. And so, yeah, it's to upskill them and it's really to encourage their voice and to, you know, help help us improve it day to day. So I really like the baseball analogy because one that I've been thinking about, but I haven't often talked about it, the Billy Bean way of thinking having a process in place makes things more efficient. What you're describing, it sounds like to me, is having a process in place for a product team is helpful. It doesn't have to be dogma, but it creates some guardrails. Yeah, and I think that the risk with a pure data-driven approach, and we've, we've been through ICP work and defining that, it's based off of historicals of what you know, and not necessarily future of what's possible. And so, uh, you know, finding that fine line, I think being exceptionally data-driven and requiring all of the data you're basically just, you know, recreating a better version of history uh, versus paving your own path. And so I think that's the additional line that I'm very mindful of is to not restrict new ideas purely because we don't have the data. What data you need to get is the customer feedback in a structured way. You need to figure out analysts. You need to go and figure out market fit. You need to figure out if this aligns to our ICP and our SOM, all of those things. But it doesn't like it, it can't be as restricted purely based off of creating a better feature than we had previously. So it is a fine line, I think, and a and a risk of you know being too data driven. And we see with Moneyball, right? Like there's now a variation of it, right? The Yankees, I'm a big Yankee fan, they're like, screw data, we're gonna go the opposite way next year, right? And it's like, okay, there's this like pendulum swing, but it lands somewhere in the middle. And as long as we're not too restrictive, like you said, uh, you, you know, then it works. So well, Justin, thank you for sharing your insights with us. No one's used baseball as an analogy yet, but I personally love it. You know, people say that you know, Billy Bean never won the World Series with a system. Well, the Red Sox did. So I think having a system definitely is helpful to have in place. And I'd be excited to have you on uh, as a guest in the future to see how the system plays out 12 months in if you're seeing the type of results you had expected. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you're a product leader and want to be featured on my podcast, send me an email. It's Misha at onchassis.com. You can also find the address in the pod description. All right. Till next time.